Welcome to Think About This. I'm Alexis Dean, and I am so glad you're here. For years, I've been building a community of high-performing, high-impact, wildly generous, and supportive entrepreneurs. I've made a lot of introductions between incredible people, and I always wish that I could learn from the conversations that take place after those introductions. On this show, you and I will get to be part of the conversation as I bring together two successful entrepreneurs for peer-to-peer support and discussions that normally happen behind closed doors. Listen in as we solve fascinating business challenges with lessons and ideas that apply across industries. Get ready to learn, expand, and grow. This is the Think About This podcast, brought to you by the Dovetail community. This week's problem we're tackling How does a small food manufacturer get onto shelves across the continent without paying big company fees? On this episode, I'm talking to Christina Mack and Melanie Merkling. Christina recently bought Kingsway Foods, a legacy brand business that she's expanding. She's been using a broker for retail sales, and while her company's products can be found in major retailers, her broker's service has been abysmal, and she's ready to grow and expand the business across the continent. Luckily for her, Melanie is the perfect woman to advise her on this. Melanie Merkling is the CEO of Tightrope Ventures and a well-known broker and connector in the retail space and beyond. With a career in business and brand development spanning 19 years, Melanie has a proven track record of generating profits in startups, reviving businesses under financial duress across varying industries, and helping companies secure and grow their business with big box and club retailers. Melanie's worked with a diverse mix of clients, both domestic and international, ranging from tech startups to food producers to creative agencies seeking to grow their businesses. She's the founder of Tightrope Ventures, Merging Brand Solutions, and a partner in Redneck Lipstick, Hamer Vodka, Either Way You're Welcome, and After Dark Education. Melanie's an expert in retail supply chain, business development, rapid scaling, and gratitude. When she's not at work, Melanie can be found doing anything in the mountains, skiing, hiking, rafting, and more. Christina Mack is a graduate of the University of Waterloo with a Bachelor of Applied Science in Chemical Engineering. Her professional background is focused on lean, quality, and continuous improvement in the oil and gas, tech, and manufacturing sectors. After working as a process engineer for Maple Leaf Foods, she left manufacturing to buy a family financial investment business. The opportunity arose in the last quarter of 2020 to purchase a long-standing Canadian-owned food manufacturing company in Mississauga, and she jumped at it. Her focus has always been on continuous improvement coupled with strong business acumen, and so Kingsway Foods was the right company at just the right time. Kingsway was the first Canadian company to produce and retail a potato chip dip. It might not be the healthiest line of products in today's market, but coupled with a strong industrial and food service line of products, the plant is ripe for a shift to healthier products and a refocus with today's consumer in mind. Christina has served as board governor on hospital board since 2010, and she's currently on the Ontario Hospital Association board as a governor. Her athletic passion is triathlon, and she hopes to see races starting up again soon. She lives in London, Ontario, Canada with her two young children. By the end of today's conversation, you'll know what it takes to get your products on more shelves, how to take up more shelf space once you're on those shelves, and how to better connect with brokers, buyers, and consumers using the power of your story. So let's dive in. I am so excited to have Christina Mack and Melanie Merkling on the show today. Welcome, Christina and Mel. How are you? Great. Thanks for having us, Alexis. Amazing. Uh, we were just having a chat off air and I was like, I need to hit record because there is already value being dropped and so many good questions coming out of this conversation already. So just to kick us off, the first question that we were just talking about is that in Christina's business, she's looking at launching new food products, getting them on the shelves and wondering how does she as a small food manufacturer find retail shelf space without paying big company fees? And how do you go from having a brand new product to getting it on the shelf and really getting it out there across the country and potentially even across borders? Melanie, I'm gonna let you take it away from there if you have any (laughs) first thoughts and then I'll let you two uh, dive in. Sounds good. So um, I would say before you even start worrying about fees with different retailers, what we usually do with our clients, especially when it's brand new products and and we're looking at how do we just start from square one is the first thing that I do is I look at where the manufacturing is done because one of the areas where you're going to 
uh, rack up the most expenses is in transportation. Um, especially I know you have your products are dips and, and things that are going to be a little bit on the heavier side versus like a, a powder or something like that that doesn't weigh a lot. And so every mile you move that um, is just adding um, to your expense. And once you're doing that in volume, it's not a big deal. But when you're first starting out and you may only be selling a few cases to smaller retailers here and there, if you're having to move those cases out all hundreds of miles in opposite different directions, then you're losing a lot of money just in the transportation itself. And so we start with a blueprint that looks at where your manufacturing is and what all the opportunities are within a certain mile radius of that and try to move full truckloads at a time within a certain geographical region and grow that way just because it allows you, if you need to, to negotiate on margins and take lower lower profits in places because you're saving money and you're moving it out. Wow, that's great. I would not have thought to start that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Ideally, I mean, or, or, or fortunately, um, the manufacturing plant, my plant is right in the middle of, you know, the GTA. Um, so lots of distribution centers and warehouses um, from major retailers are, are very, very close within, within uh-huh. 30, 30 minutes to an hour, I would say 30 minutes, probably. So that helps, yep. but that is a, that's just a really interesting, I can, I can picture, you know, doing, a, doing, a, you know, myself in the center and then saying, okay, where is everybody? Where are all the opportunities? Like where's Whole Foods, you know, where would their distribution be? Where, I don't know where it is. I have to look that up. Where's Costco, those sorts of things. And, uh, and looking at it that way, that's, that's fascinating. Okay, that's step Especially one. Especially when you're looking at your smaller retail, like, because when you're looking at Whole Foods and Costco's, right, they have, like, they have their own large distribution centers that are spread out. Yeah. And so it's also easy to meet with them and to meet with their buyers and say, okay, we're going to go into the DCs that are closest to where you're located and then expand from there but when you're looking at moms and pops a lot of times what people starting out is is they just want to play a numbers game and so they might be reaching out to people all across the country even when it's like a one to four store retailer and and so then they they land one 700 miles in this direction 1100 (laughs) miles in this direction and then suddenly your shipping fees are just through the roof yeah um so so that's you know, when you're organically growing, then that's a really good thing to look at. Another thing that I would say, like when we're talking big and small is one thing that we, a part of our strategy, and it's not for everyone, but especially when you can get a robust team behind you so that you can work multiple angles at the same time, is what we'll do when we're looking at that blueprint is a lot of times with the larger retailers like Whole Foods and Costco want to know is that if they don't have you on their shelf, they're losing a sale because somebody across the street from their store is already looking for you. And so they're picking you up somewhere else. And so when you're in your infancy, one thing that we'll do is we'll say, okay, we'll pull by a zip code, like where all the whole foods are, say even like a, a Walmart or a, you know, a Costco, something like that. Where where are the big flagship stores you want to be in? Look at those zip codes and then look at the mom and pop grocers that are close to them. And so try to get a really good a really good footprint of traffic into the stores that are nearby the large stores that you want to be in. Because then when you meet with a buyer, you can actually say, like we have 19 units per store per week selling at these retailers that are close to this store and if they're not buying from you, they're going to buy it somewhere. So you want to have us on your shelf. So you're recapturing that customer instead of them having to look for our product elsewhere. Oof, that's brilliant too. Okay. I could do that too. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a great strategy. I don't know. Who, who do you think you started off saying that's not for everybody. Why would that not be an effective strategy for some people? I was just trying to be modest. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that is, that's amazing. Wow. So also, I guess one one area where I would say that that might be difficult is so I I have a team when, when the way my brokerage works and a lot of brokerages do not work this way. Most brokerages marry a retailer. So most brokerages are like 
I am a Whole Foods broker or I am a Costco broker and I have a team of people that work with different buyers just under those banners. Um, But my brokerage takes a really um, comprehensive and holistic approach to helping our clients grow their business. If I start a relationship with you, my goal is not just to help you make money at Whole Foods or to make money at Costco. My goal is to look at your entire business end to end and say, number one, where are the opportunities for you to save money? And then number two, where is the opportunity for you to make money? Because you can scale either way, right? And then if you can combine the two, you're scaling in a really beautiful way because you're scaling at the lowest cost to yourself, but at the highest potential of earnings. And so we represent uh, all retail opportunities from small to large. We even work with like hotel pantries and and different like out of the box first and order besides just like traditional retail. So I have people on my team who are dedicated to different avenues. So I can have someone who is pulling, like can gain every zip code uh, of certain banners that are in uh, a different area. And then we can pull the stores that might be competitors within each region and then build a strategy from there. And then I have someone who just goes after boutique type retailers. And I have someone that just goes after big box and someone that just works on clubs. And so our ability to do that for multiple clients, because we have areas of expertise is really possible for us. But you might have someone that's trying to grow and maybe they have one person that's in-house that's on their sales team. Well, for that person to try to go after all these little stores to then win the big stores may really be an inefficient use of time because their actual most effective method may just be going after that buyer at the big box, even though that might take longer without that data because the amount that they would pay in salary for someone to execute all that could be really challenging. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can see that that's a, I mean, that would be exactly a challenge that I would have just being the size that I am. I am, I am the sales department. It's me. I do, I do yeah, everything. Exactly. Sales marketing, <laughs> production, everything. Um, and so that, that and, is an issue. So I do have a broker. And so I'm interested in, in hearing your view, because if, if we were at a point right now and I was interviewing for a, you know, a new broker, which I'm looking for one. Um, yep you know, what you said is fascinating to me. And I'm, and I'm, again, I've, as I said, I'm new to, I'm new to the, not the food manufacturing side, but I'm new to the food sales side and the retail side and the brokerage side. And so I've walked into this company and they've had this broker for 20 years and it has just sort of chugged along and I don't know what they do for us. And I've asked that question, you know, what are you doing? Are you pushing us? I don't really understand that um, sort of question. And something I'm wondering is if, would you have competitive products? So would you have two, would you represent two dip companies? So I'm at the broker. I don't know if they're going into a store and they're you know, pushing my product or if they're pushing my competitor's product. What are the, what are the you know, things that I can ask for, the assurances I have that who I'm choosing is, is not, um, you know, not double dipping sure. in that like how do, or is that something I can even ask for? Or is that a requirement brokerages have? I don't know. So I see it done both ways. I see brokers who will take exclusive contracts in a category. And so if they represent someone in one category, they will not represent another client that's going to be in that category. And then there's people that don't do it that way. And for me, it's more about trust, uh, trusting to me, the most important thing is in a brokerage is, and, and this is not common. This is a new thing. Like my goal is to actually like turn the brokerage model on its head and completely disrupt um, this industry because it hasn't been done in a really long time. Like it's kind of been the same model for 30 plus years is I want you to know if you're my client that I'm basically your business partner. Anywhere you win, I win. Anywhere you see success, I see success. I, as an individual, who also does have also my own product companies, I might have products that compete with each other. I own a barbecue sauce company. My intention actually is to 
leverage the uh, capacity that I have to buy more bottles, to buy more caps, to, to build more products under separate names and actually have products that compete with myself. So I could go into a category with multiple barbecue sauces to the same buyer and they're all mine and nobody's going to know that. And so I operate the same way in my brokerage. I'm very transparent about it. Like if I'm going, if I was representing you with a dip and I was going to represent another dip, if you're my primary client, I would talk to you about it first and I would make sure you're comfortable with it. But for me, having two products in the same category isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because for me and my team, and we are very boutique, is we can become category experts. We can learn everything about that. And like when you're talking dip and you look at the facing of dip, like how many dips are there on the market? So me having your product and another dip doesn't mean that I'm going to favor one client or the other. That necessarily means that if I get them onto the shelf and not you, that I wasn't actually doing my job but again that comes down to actually how much you trust your broker and their integrity and that they're doing their best and that they didn't take two companies because they're playing a numbers game but if I took you and another div company it would be because I think you both have potential you both have unique value propositions and I love your stories right like we marry clients for their stories they have to have good products but they also have to be really good people and so if we had two people in the same space that we wanted to help both of them grow, as long as they were both okay with it, we would still help both of those companies grow. Because if we give the buyer all the information and do our best to say why both of those products are special, ultimately the buyer decides, right? right. Not us. Right. So if we have integrity to make sure that we know everything we can about both products and present them with all of that and then the buyer decides well somebody else is going to be repping that product if we didn't so they're still going up against you right um, and you're still going up against them but also if we have two of them then what we get to do is we build really strong trust relationships with our buyers is we get to say like why would you want both of these dips on your shelf? Well, you want this dip on your shelf because it's going to attract the mom who's trying to find a healthy dip for her family that maybe is free of this and free of that and free of this. This dip is for the guy who wants to sell the best tasting, like, or have the best tasting dip at his Super Bowl party and it has a kick to it. And all his friends are going to love it because it's got like, jalapeno and some weird dusty raspberry flavor and whatever you know uh -huh. like they would be different and we would speak to both of those and say like why there's a missed opportunity if they didn't say yes to both right and I agree with that philosophy and I think that that's brilliant it, I guess for me I'm just those are the questions I have to go back now I guess to this broker and say you know how are you doing this what are you doing because you know, right. I, I and guess that I, doesn't work, right? Like, if you if you're not sure that your broker is actually out there pushing your product well and explaining to why a buyer should not or should not miss the opportunity of sales to have you on their shelf, then you definitely would be concerned about if they have another disc or two yes. other discs or three other discs, right? So yeah. Yeah. the the traditional like brokerage model that's been around since the 70s is okay like I'm broker A and I'm going to go to a bunch of food shows I'm going to meet a bunch of people and every product that I think I might be able to get into especially if I like if I have a relationship with a beverage buyer then I'm going to go to that food show and I'm going to find every beverage that I think might have one and I'm going to give them my card and I'm going to go home and I'm going to send them an email and I'm going to be like, hey, your beverage is amazing. And I happen to be like, I went to high school with the buyer at XYZ retailer who buys beverages and I think I can get you in. And like, we do a lot of business there, right? So like, then I have 50 beverages companies that are like, thank you, broker A, I can't wait to work with you because... I know you have this great relationship. And so then they have these 50 beverages. They send an email to this buyer that they know. And they're like, here's this list of beverages I have, right? Right. And, and then that buyer like goes cross-eyed because they're looking at 50 beverages. 
and they've already got 500,000 beverages from other brokers. Right. And then they're going, oh my goodness, okay, but like, oh, I see two that kind of stand out to me because their names are cool. So let me look them up. And so then they follow up on those and then broker Hayes like, great, because both of those two beverages out of 50 are probably going to do a couple million a year on that shelf and they're getting 5% commission. And so quick math on that, like, you know, they're making a few hundred thousand dollars. They sent an email, they went to a food show, they handed out 50 cards and their return on investment is great. Meanwhile, there's 48 people sitting out there with beverage companies that are like, I have this amazing broker who knows this guy and he's <laughs> going to get me on a shelf. But meanwhile, the clock's just ticking, right? <laughs> and, and he doesn't know it was just an email. And so that's where it's like the key thing is like, how invested is your broker in your business? How much do they actually care about you? How much are they leaning on relationships? Because here's the other thing is that used to be a great model because who you knew used to be everything because someone would get into a seat at a retailer and then stay there for 25 years and maybe work their way up. And so if they built a relationship where they trusted with someone, then that was great because eventually, eventually that broker could just get better and better and better. And they know what that buyer wants. And they form this relationship where that broker can like actually not even go to the show and they can just flip through the book and go like, I know my buddy is going to like these three things. And so I'm just going to call them after the show and be like, I saw you here. I'm going to take you to this person. That person trusts them. They get in. They have a great working relationship for a long time, for decades, right? Right. That doesn't work anymore because the buyer's change like every three months. Like sometimes you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and your buyer's gone and they just started yesterday and you're like, great, now what do I do? (laughs) And so so what you want to know is you want to know that I love you. I love your product. I know your story. I'm invested in your story. I'm going to lose sleep at night if you're not on a shelf because because we've become partners. Like It's not like on a contract, like we have a partnership agreement, but I care as much about your business as though I was your business partner. I believe in your brand. I believe it can win. I believe in you and who you are and how you're running your company. So I know you're going to match my effort. And I would rather have just you and three or four other clients under me because I know I'm going to do everything that it takes to make your business successful and to get you on shelves. And if, if the buy, if your, if your main goal is like, Hey, Melanie, like all I really care about is that I want to be in every whole Foods, And that's what's the most important to me. Then that buyer seat can change every 15 minutes. And it doesn't matter because I'm not just taking your business because I had a relationship with buy the buyer that was there, you know, six months ago. And then once it wasn't easy for me to send a handshake email, then it was just like, oh, sorry, I'm going to send a few emails. And at some point I'll get a response and then maybe I can come back to you with something good. Like I'm going to go after that business hungry, like it was mine. Yeah. And so that buyer seat can change every 15 minutes and you better believe and I'm going to have a list of every person that's been in that seat in the last six months because every time I got another email notification that the buyer left, I was on top of the next one because I'm not taking my claim that I'll get two out of 50. I'm just taking my claim on you. That information is really helpful for me because I really didn't understand that sort of relationship. But, but, it, but it's brought me to another question, which is, you know, and, and you're right, this, you know, people aren't in the same role anymore. So we don't have this continuity. So with the buyers flipping so much, what, what's the best approach for a buyer? What, are, what do they want to know when you walk in the door? What's the sales pitch to a buyer? So the most important things I've found to be able to approach a buyer with, and so seeds are revolving so quickly is we don't have category experts anymore. Like the old way used to be that because your buyer was in the seat for so long, like they knew that category or department, like the back of their hand, they learned everything about it, right? So if you have a dip buyer, they know all the data on every other dip company, how long they've been out there. They probably have been in buyer seats over dip in like five different retailers, maybe that they've transitioned through their career, but they've always done dip. So they have this familiarity and you don't really need to educate them that much except for on your product. 
and and your company and how your company is financially solvent and how you can support your business. And it was more about that than specific to the category. It was just specific to how healthy is your business. Why do people love your dip? You know, why should I put your dip on this shelf when I'm going to have to remove somebody else's dip to put you there, right? Yep, yep. Now, when those seeds do change so quickly, you may have somebody who just moved from camp chairs to dip. And they just had to take a crash course on camping. And then three months later, they got moved to this. And so, like, they have no clue about this. They don't know. Before that, they were in meats, right? They were dealing with per pound commodity stuff that's like a whole other world in grocery. And then they went to hard lines and now they're in dips and they don't know anything. So the way you build value to a buyer is, number one, walking in. And not assuming that they know things about their category. So knowing like this is the average term for something in your category. And it, it's not saying that they don't know. It's just saying, I'm going to let you know in case you don't. Like I'm willing to do your job for you because I know it's probably overwhelming. You're dealing with a lot of different suppliers. You have to know a lot of information. And I just need to know about my category. So I'm going to share this with you. This is how the dip industry has grown in the last five years. These are the shifts we're changing. Like as though they're just like this new baby bird in this category, because they probably are. So you feed them that information and then you let them know what your continued education process is. So like we stay on top of the numbers. We're always looking to innovate. We're always looking to help. And if you put us on the shelf, we're going to support this business. Because also knowing that a lot of those transitions so quickly they barely get their feet underneath them and stuff starts changing and they're having to keep up with all these things. So like when it comes to replenishment and other things to support the business once they get on shelf can get really overwhelming and stressful for them. So the more, the more feedback you give them on the support you'll give them if they put you on the shelf or in the bunker or refrigerator or wherever it's at is, is I'm going to support this and I'm going to support your job so much. Like you don't have to hold my hand. I'm actually going to hold yours. Okay, that's good. Okay, so not only just a general sort of overview of the of the category and, you know, growth and terms and, you know, maybe some competitor pro- information, but also really about the value proposition that you can bring to that particular buyer. Yeah, that for your product. Focus on that. Yeah, and for someone like you that actually has the ability to innovate and create new products because you are vertically integrated and do your own manufacturing everybody has this opportunity but you have it a little bit extra because you could just turn around and implement you don't have to engage like with a co-packer to do this for you is at the end of those meetings the way you can find the most opportunity is saying like okay so i've shown you like my top three skews and i'd love to know which ones you're in love with but i'd also love to know if there's something missing in your category that you don't have that i can bring to you Mm. Because even if they don't answer you right away with a need, they know you're willing and able. And so, like, I always like to keep that at the forefront because then that buyer can feel safe coming to you and saying, like, hey, we've been looking everywhere for, like, hey, we're seeing that the trend is that this is a flavor that's going to do really well this year. We haven't been able to find anyone that we actually like the flavor of. Could you do that for us? And then you open yourself up to immediate yes and opportunity. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. I got chills from that. I've got to tell you, that's, that's perfect. Um, and I actually do have that ability. I mean, I can't make everything. I can't make vodka in my yeah. right now, but I could, but I could pretty much make any other liquid. Um, and uh, so, and there's, you know, there's some really on trend um, things right now. And uh, that are, that are definitely on the uptick in terms of market growth and just not a lot of people doing it. So that's great. That, that would be, um, that's always my hesitation at this point to go to a buyer. And, and sometimes I question, I know you're a broker and I, and I, again, like I think that your story is, is brilliant and I would love to find somebody just like you because I question all the time, can, is, are they going, are they going to love my products and my story as much as I do and sell it as hard as I will sell it to the buyer? or to that customer. Yep. So, And I that. think some questions that you can ask, you know, when you're looking for brokers to work with is, 
in order to, to figure that out is, well, number one, pay attention to how many questions that they ask you and what they ask you about. If they're just asking you about numbers, then they're just like, they just see you as fast money, right? Because the brokerage business can be an area where people can make really good money without a lot of effort. Like it's a long game because sometimes it might take a year to get into a retailer, but but for a lot of brokers, they're, if they're only offering so much, then once they do that, they can sit back and just make a lot of money. And And so if they're only asking you questions around numbers, then then you know that's their primary interest, right? But if they if they're actually asking you questions about how did you get started or, you know, you invested in this company, right? So so if I was gonna work with you, one of the things I would ask you is what made this important to you to invest in? Why what was it about this that moved you to invest in this business and stay in it and grow? Because I want to know what's important to you. Because one of the things I've also come to understand is not every client of mine, even actually their goal is for me to make them the most money. Like I have a client that has a life-saving product and they would rather make less money and have my efforts go towards making sure that that life-saving product got into the area that they care about and saving a certain, certain genre of lives than me just going after the highest number retailer and spending my time and energy there. Right. So so it's important that I know your story, why you're investing in your products and what moves you to sell it so that I'm actually selling to your goals. So look at what they take an interest in when they're talking to you. Also, ask them how big their team is and ask them how many clients that they represent. Like, that's a big one because some brokers will think it's really impressive to tell you that they have 400 clients, but what does that tell you? They're playing a numbers game. Mm-hmm. But when I tell you, when I tell you my company has 21 clients, we won't take more without onboarding more people and that we only dedicate, it's not like we dedicate one to five because the people on our team might specialize in a different type of retailer. So we might have four people touching the same client, but there's a certain amount of limitation in how many clients that each of us will handle because we need to know that our bread and butter is coming from everyone and that it's not a numbers game. And we can do that because we only invest in people we know can be successful. So people and products and placement is important, but it's, it's keeping it self-limited. So everyone gets the attention that they need and the focus they need. And so look at that, like look at, and then look at the engagement. Like how often am I going to hear from you? Like there's an understanding that these things can take time. And I mean, we've had clients that it's taken us two years to get the first PO for them. And it's really defeating sometimes for us too, but, but especially in big retail, like their buying cycles and when they're making decisions is such a long game, but we're not sitting in the corner, letting them guess what's going on or what's happening in those two years. Like, we're still highly engaged in communication. So even if we're having to go and like kind of all sit there together and say like, Hey, we just made it through this review cycle with all of these buyers and they didn't pick us this year because they wanted us to work on the packaging and they wanted to see this ingredient taken out. They want to see this. We're still having those conversations. They still know we're engaged. They still know constantly what business that, we're going after and we become a part of the product and business development with them so they never have to guess like we make sure when we meet the buyers if they say no we ask why we ask for the criticism and then we sit with our clients and we say okay that's round it with a no here's why okay if it was packaging let us help you research some new packaging op- options like let us connect you with some designers. Let us do this thing, fix this problem, because we're still your partner um, and we're all in it together, right? So, so looking at what the level of involvement with you is going to be. And then I think the other big filter for brokers is every broker knows they're there to get you sales, right? Like that's the main, the main objective of a broker is to get you onto the shelf. But what do you do for me after that? Because if I'm invested in your business, I'm not just trying to get you to the shelf, hope you survive there, make money while you're sitting there. Like my goal is the longevity of your business. So I'm going to be invested on the other side. I'm also not going to say yes to bad deals for you because 
if I say yes to something because I'm getting commission and you go on a shelf and then once you actually sit down with the numbers, you're like, wow, that business is actually costing me money because I'm paying spotting fees and it's costing me too much to get across the country. And then I have to pay my broker on top of it. Yeah. And I just paid, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for $75,000 in this, right? Yep. Is they should be just as interested and involved in helping you break down your numbers on the front side and committed to never leading you to a yes that's going to cost you money. They should be as invested in your margins and your profit and your bottom line because they understand that the long-term health of your business is the long-term health of yours. I don't want to have to go get 21 new clients every two years. I want my 21 clients to be my 21 clients for the next 30 years. Right. And so, so if I make healthy decisions for you, you say my business partner for as long as I'm in this business and you're in this business and we all just get to continue to celebrate and grow together. And also once I get you onto the shelf, like my job doesn't stop there. I want to make sure that your relationship stays good with that buyer. So I want to make sure you don't have any breakdowns in your supply chain. And I'm going to help you with that. I want to make sure you're not missing opportunities. So if I hear that buyer saying something about like, man, I really wish that we had some, some more savory dips or more this or more that, like, I'm going to come back to you and say, like, maybe we should do some more research around some other flavor profiles and go back to them with this and just send them like, some samples of some different things that we can experiment with and, and not miss opportunities. I'm also going to look at your data on the other side and say, wow, you have this one SKU that's only moving a couple units per store per week. Maybe it's time we go have that hard conversation about pulling that off the shelf and seeing if there's opportunity to put something else there because it's not actually performing well. And if it continues to not perform well, it could jeopardize your entire business and that retailer because they're looking at an overall scorecard. And so, so it, you know, it's like a relationship. Like you don't want a broker that's just going to take you on some dates, propose, get you to say yes. And then the minute you get married, they're like, that was fun. Cook me dinner. We call that the bait and like, switch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you want to know you have someone that's invested in you over time and there is committed to the relationship that you are. Right. And that makes what you're describing is, is exactly that partnership that I would, that I'm just craving and, you know, really, really need the help on and really want. And my, the current, my current um, broker is doing none of those. So I need yeah. to have a serious, um, and I, I actually, need, I guess I need to shop it. Now, I don't know if there's anything quite as fabulous as what you're describing here. Um, a lot of them. In I mean, I'm pretty special. <laughs> I know you are. And, and I think a lot of them, unfortunately, have amalgamated. So we had a lot small, yeah. you know, more smaller ones here. And all of a sudden they've been gobbled up. And so now there's only a couple big ones. And so they're big. That is really, really common everywhere. Yeah. And um, so that's a problem. So that's very talk common about the, here too. Yeah. So these big teams and, you know, the number they're playing the numbers game, obviously. And so the little guys like me are getting, you know, shoved off to the side and, and um, I've come in and said, Hey, wait a second, guys, like, you know, what about this? So I've, I've made them, you know, notice me a little bit more right now. So I'm making them work for it, which is, <laughs> which they may not like me very much for that, but I don't care because I'm paying them. Um, yeah, but I uh, but I do need to I do need to, to to shop that a little bit because obviously I have the deficiency on that side. So I think that one thing you can do, and and again we do work with people in Canada, so I'll just put that out there. But um, one thing you can do is like if I know you guys aren't having food shows now, but like if you're in any masterminds that have other products, probably not anybody in your same space, but in other categories ask them who they are working with. Cause like, I'll tell you my company, like nobody's going to find me online. I don't, I don't banner myself as a broker because broker is such a negative connotation to me yes. because of how so many of them operate. Yes. And so somebody looking for a broker would never find me. I get most of my business through referrals. I get a lot of my business through through masterminds um, and connections that way. And I super limit my business. And so the person you want is probably the same way. 
And so it might be, you know, finding finding some people in other non-competing product space and just calling them and just being transparent and vulnerable and saying, hey, listen, like I see you at a lot of stores. It looks like your business is doing really well. This is the business that I have. And I'm just wondering if you have some brokerages that you're looking for sales and marketing people you're working with that you really love. And then the other thing that one thing that we do sometimes, and, and I find that this is a really uh, useful gauge and way to do business too, is like a lot of really forward thinking boutique brokers. And there's some larger ones too, like Presence, I think, here in the United States does this where they'll take equity partnerships in companies. But, you know, if you know, if you want to know somebody is going to put themselves on the line for you, is you know, find a small broker that's a boutique that's only going to take a handful of clients and then say, like, listen, I want you to be invested in my company. I want to go the distance with you. This is a company I intend to have for a very long time. And so what I'm willing to do for you is, like, maybe give them a small equity stake, maybe not a partnership to where they have voting rights or anything in your company, but, but like, a an equity stake in your company to where as long as you're you're running, they're gonna benefit from the business they help you grow today because then you know like that they're really invested in the long long term and see the return on that. And can I jump back like two steps to a question that was at the top of my mind when you were talking before and you're talking about the stories that buyers and brokers fall in love with. Are there some themes there that people should be looking to? Like are people they fall in love with like the idea of like a legacy business or some kind of like vintage kitsch to it. Or is there something that you see out there that makes a brand more lovable to get more uh, shelf space or to get the buyer's attention or the broker's attention when you've got a broker that's got too many brands that they're repping? You know, it's like, what's the old, the old saying, like if they cry, they buy. I think that crosses every industry, right? Not just like, brokerage model retail products but if you can get someone to emotionally connect with somebody and and with something then definitely so like those legacy brands I mean Newman's own it's a good example right like Mm -hmm. it probably would have been successful no matter what but the reason he created it the story behind it the fact that his family carried it forward is a big part of why that company has exploded and was successful it means something to people. Right. And, and so I do think that when buyers hear that and, and it has like, you can have the best legacy story in the world, but like if I have a story about, you know, these shoes and how it's this family shoe company, but the shoes fall apart in two weeks and they're not really great. Like my story can be great and everyone can want to support me, but it's not going to be successful. But but when both like that legacy story, the reason why it was created and the quality of the product match, then it's really compelling against just like, oh, hey, I saw that there was a need in this market. I thought I could make a lot of money at the, this many million dollar industry that I could disrupt. And so I did it and here it is, like buy my thing. Not as compelling. Great. Um, that, that said, also like buyers have numbers to me that shelf is basically real estate right like it's a piece of land that they need something moving so frequently for them to maximize their profit on it and so so a big metric is how many stores how many turns per store per week is a product going to make because if they have an item sitting on their shelf that's only selling you know one unit per store per week, but they could have an item sitting in that same space that's going to sell 12, what are they going to go for? They're going to go for the one that sells 12 because they only have so much shelf space. That real estate is precious. It's not like that store can just infinitely grow. And so I think there's some questions that as a product owner, you can ask yourself when you're going in is what, what makes What's going to make that buyer realize it's important to take this space and put my product on it? So if you can have numbers, and if you're not like that example I gave of going into smaller stores across from the big banners, it's great. But another one is like if if you had a direct-to-consumer product you're selling online, you can use the same data, right? You can say like, 
we have this many people right by your store who are ordering this online week after week. Those people are probably in your store. So if they're walking down that aisle and they see my product, they're buying it online already, but now they can grab it and throw it in their basket every week. Then that's also a good compelling story because they know that that's going to utilize their real estate well. The other thing to ask yourself is like, I think sometimes a lot of new products don't realize is that it's not like stores are just sitting there with empty shelves. Like every once in a while, they have a supplier that didn't have a good business plan that goes out of business or can't fulfill, can't keep up with volume. Like that happens sometimes. And then they've got a spot to fill. But, but they've also got how many people waiting in the wings for that spot. Yep. But most of the time, what actually happens is that buyer does their review and say they have, you know, 50, 50 dips on their, in their space right now. And you come in, they have to decide to take somebody out to put you in there. And so what, what question can you answer for them? What can you tell them? What's the compelling story of why something else should go and you should go in there and so it's also why it's really important to like do store walks and look at your category look at who your competitors are and when you're looking at it like ask yourself like is your price better are your ingredients better um is there something that makes you stand out from five feet away that nobody else is standing out like is there something about your packaging and if not like maybe there's an opportunity there like if you're looking at a category and every single thing in that category is just white and so your eyes just go across like how can you pop out to where customers are immediately drawn their eye focus goes to yours um because sometimes that's big enough sometimes they have a low performer and they look at your package and they're like wow like everyone walking by is going to see that and just grab it based on it being attention grabbing yeah um or maybe it's like, hey, here's a good example. Like, I um, work with an amazing company that has a cream cheese product that is made from it's a goat cheese, cream cheese. Yep. The cream cheese category, if you are allergic to dairy, like, you don't have an option, right? So why wouldn't a buyer take a dairy off of that space and put this in one of those spots? when they know they have certain shoppers who cannot buy anything in their category because all of it doesn't agree with their digestion system. So what is a reason that they would want to, to put you in a space where make the assumption that everyone they already have is making some sales. So there's not someone with zero sales that they're removing to gamble to see if you're going to have sales or not. But so even if you were apples to apples, they do four, you're going to do four. Why would they want you there over there? That's a great way to look at it. So when I'm setting things up, I can keep those things in mind and, uh, and make sure that I stand out and have a good compelling reason. So that's, that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Any last questions as we wrap up? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You can also call me anytime. <laughs> Alexis can share my number with you. And I like, I love talking about this, especially like emerging brands is like really where my heart is at. Like I love seeing good products thrive awesome. and, and just grow really strong in the beginning. And so, which I know you're not at the beginning, but you're kind of pre-inventing now, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great. So I'm happy to chat would... about this anytime. Uh, that's amazing. I will take you up on that because I will share things with you. I wouldn't share to, on a re- on a recording, but I would love to. Uh, sure. I'd love to share with you. So, absolutely, thank you. I will call you for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you had to say, Christina, is there one big takeaway from today? Are you just like all of the things? So Anything many, so many stand out from today. <sighs> So many big ones, but for me, for sure, is I need to find a, a broker that fits better with me um, and my products, and I want to feel comfortable with them that they're actually doing the job. So that's a big one. And then the whole the whole step step piece is about you know how do you, okay so how do you launch a new one? What should you be looking at? That whole geography piece, and then you know looking at maybe the mums and pops across the street and and uh, compiling good data to take to a buyer. I mean, that's so valuable. That's such, 
that's information I did not have an hour ago that will, I know, serve me um, very, very well in the coming weeks. I mean, just I took a ton of notes and I will probably listen to the recording again, but fabulous. That was so good. Thank you. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. It was great. Thank you both so very much. I'm so excited to re-listen to this and take more notes. And, you know, as you're speaking, you might not even realize, but there are things that you can take out of this into other industries. And I actually feel like, you know, Christina, if you're talking to Canadian brokerages, this episode is probably very useful for them as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Just so even turning, you know, turning that whole industry on its head like that. That's a whole other topic, right? But it's but it's definitely in need of it because it's been an old boys club for a long time. And, uh, you know, we don't play we don't do deals on the golf course anymore. So it's, you know, it's it is. Yeah. Changing and um, I'm really excited to see that that's something um, that you're working on. And hopefully we can start to see that too. So if I can find some female that has a small boutique brokerage, if Melanie can't take me as a client, then, um, <laughs> then I'll do that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have a couple more Canadian food brands to introduce you to beverages, two of them and a food brand and definitely ask them who they're working with. And, yes. Uh, yes. And then, yeah, once you expand to the States as well, hopefully that's an even better opportunity to work with Mel. But uh, in the meantime, thank you again, both. This was uh, a lot of fun and looking forward to the episode. Yeah. Thanks, Alexis. Thanks, awesome. Melanie. I really enjoyed this conversation with Christina and Mel. If you heard some background noise on Mel's end, I have a pretty big feeling that she was in one of the retailers where she's working hard to get her clients' products on the shelves. Today, I invite you to think about this. How can you build a better relationship with your broker? Or better yet, just find a broker who supports you and really believes in your products. If you're trying to get onto shelves at a major retailer, start by getting on shelves at mom and pop shops that are near the major retailers' flagship stores. And lastly, how can you get consumers and buyers to emotionally connect with your product? Think about brands like Newman's Own, who've given over $500 million to charities. You might not be able to give away $500 million, but maybe there's a better way to connect. As Mel says about the stories we tell about our brands, if they cry, they buy. Thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait for you to meet the rest of the incredible entrepreneurs who are joining me on the podcast. I'll be releasing new episodes every Wednesday, so be sure to follow the podcast on whichever app you use so that you don't miss out on insights, inspiration, and big ideas. Do you know someone who could really use these nuggets of knowledge? Take a quick screenshot, post it on social, and tag a friend or two, or just text it straight to them. That's really why I created this podcast to share this expertise and peer-to-peer support with you and all the other entrepreneurs that need it. So if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful for a quick five-star rating and review on whatever app you're listening on. It'll go a long way to helping me serve and support even more entrepreneurs. Thanks again for joining me. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. We'll see you soon.